For any listeners unfamiliar with the movie Barbarian, we'd just like to quickly mention that the movie itself is very thematically based on gendered violence, and it does have a character that describes sexual assault in some detail. So just be aware of that if you plan to watch it or have not yet and we're thinking about it. What the f- Welcome to the Infinite Horrors Podcast. We get it. You're a man who has understood the concept of gendered violence. Congratulations. Would you all like a cookie? I would. Who are the whitest kids you know, Sam? (laughs) I'm pretty pale. I'm almost pink. It's funny you mentioned that because I'd actually never really been too familiar with the director of Barbarian until Barbarian came out. The Whitest Kids You Know, which was, right, his like sketch comedy troupe. Yeah, it was a comedy sketch show. Right. I didn't know about it. Really? No, no. I think jokes are great and laughter's sweet, but like I never watched like Donald Glover's Derek comedy thing or anything, you know. See, I grew up with Monty Python and like all of that stuff. So like sketch comedy was a big thing for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, Monty Python's great. I guess, you know, I, I definitely overgeneralized. There were some things like Monty Python that I watched, but not like, you know, not not religiously by any means. I prefer at last the 1948 show to Monty Python by a long shot. Right. Also, Marty Feldman's in that one. So, mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Zach Kreger, one of the members of the Whites Kids You Know, is the writer and director of our topic this week, which is Barbarian, which just off the bat was very overhyped for me. I think it made me feel more let down than I would have been if it wasn't as talked up for me, uh, um, which means yeah. I feel very meh. <laughs> going into that's, I mean, that's that's such a problem, I think, with movie viewing today is that for so many people, even before they've seen the movie, they've seen like a million people's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I had a similar issue when I saw Robert Eggers' new movie, The Northman, where I had built it up in my head so much and I had such high expectations for that movie. And it's a perfectly cool movie. Like, it's very good. But I just like built it up and had it hyped up for me for so long that when I did finally see it, I left the theater being kind of like, uh. (laughs) And especially with a movie like Barbarian, which was totally marketed on the prospect of like, don't look it up. Don't look up the Yeah, that and like spoilers and surrealism. I don't find this to be surreal at all as a film. And I don't find there to be any spoilers I could put forth that would ruin the movie for you. So I'm a little confused by that, if I'm being honest. And I think that also adds to the lack of satisfaction I got. Interesting. So wait, people think it's surreal? <laughs> yeah. I, when Before I went into this, a big thing going forward was like everyone recommending it to me was like, oh, it's so surreal. It's so Lynchian. You're going to love it if you love Lynch, Maya. And I'm like, no. I, I was- I would I not attribute that. No, no, having watched it's not at all. It is a very straightforward, grounded in reality type of film relative to other horror films, right? What like Carl Jung bullshit, like we enter (laughs) our minds and in there is a damaged woman and an old creep. Like, (laughs) no, (laughs) that's surprising. I never heard someone taking that movie in like a metaphysical way. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know where they got that. I'm I'm genuinely confused about it. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure this was Zack's first horror film. It's not bad. And I think a lot of the heavy lifting was actually done by the director of photography in this. Uh, Zach Cooperstein? Yes. The one thing that I really took away from this movie was Zach Cooperstein's work. Some of the most beautiful shots I've seen in a while... Yeah, just yeah. Uh, especially after watching Terrifier, to have white balance and like these beautiful shots with like these excellent framings and really nice color themes and yeah. all of these really cool silhouettes and cuts and angles and like dynamic angles and panning shots. Oh, like oh, all it was the so ex- dynamic and it was so fluid. I really was a fan of a lot of the exteriors that were supposed to be like run down Detroit. It reminded me a lot, obviously, of It Follows. It Follows is another movie that takes place in these kind of left behind suburbs of Detroit. Another movie with great cinematography, but Barbarians, uh, that stuck out to me too. I love when Tess is standing in the framework of the doorway and it's like... Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Right. It, it's gorgeous. It's really good. And the way when she first opens that one section of the basement and it just zooms in on that like pitch blackness that she's supposed to go into. Yeah. And you can hear like Keith screaming faintly in the distance. Oh, it's so fun. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Can we start off by uh, talking about Keith, or should we give a little bit of a synopsis first? The premise is kind of what this whole movie is built off of. I know that's an obvious statement. Can I just say really quickly before we dive further, I am so fucking sick of just movies and upon movies coming out, especially lately, of, look, guys, we really understand violence against women, even if it's done in a way that's interesting. Like, I preferred this to men by a long shot. It's just so tiring at this point. Yeah. Like, we get it. You're a man who has understood the concept of gendered violence. Congratulations. Yeah. Would you all like a cookie? I would. Apparently is patronizing, right? It's men who are trying to write and portray a perspective that they are not privy to, right? Which means that they are inherently creating something quite patronizing in this art. And I think that's why I'm a little bit fed up with it, because it's just a ton of things that are just like, yes, you have fundamentally understood why I'm afraid of you. Good job. I don't know why you need to do this again. (laughs) There's certainly been a proliferation of these themes in movies ever since the Me Too movement, which makes a lot of sense for me in in, in like why there are so many, you know? It's in the zeitgeist. People are thinking about it all the time. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. It's something I think about a whole lot. There certainly have been a lot, but it is like, you know, it's it's a conversation I'm hearing. Well, all. the reason I'm, I'm less mad at Barbarian than like other films that have come out recently is because it had a little bit more thought put into it, which is we'll talk about it with Keith in particular, because Keith is like the one thing that was added by these movies. But I'm, I'm like really sick of the fact that it's like primarily coming from men. And like, I really wish that we'd see more like people who, you know, are in gender minorities making these movies or like adding to that perspective, because I think it would be a little bit more satisfying and a little bit less a product that would make me want to roll my eyes. You know, I think it's also the fact that we've been reading and watching a lot of things that we haven't yet talked about on the podcast. And then I've been catching up on my reading list and I've also been seeing it all the goddamn time in the short stories I've been reading lately. Mm. And oh man, it is it is just really bad. And every time 
every time it is a man writing about how shitty men can be. And it's like, yeah, but you're also making it kind of sexual and weird at the same time that you're doing this. So it's it's just this constant like pattern, I think, that has been exhausting me lately. Yeah, trust me, there will be more to come. <laughs> and, you know, it's, God. I, 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 for one thing, I don't want to play devil's advocate in this situation. But like, I think it is kind of an important perspective to have are a reconciliation of sorts amongst male artists with these sorts of things. Like, absolutely, we should have more female voices in the conversation. I mean, they're the most yeah, affected by this. I want women. I want trans women. I want non-binary people, honestly. I think there's a lot of really good opportunity to talk about this. And it's just a shame that it's primarily cis men talking about it, I think is my main takeaway here. Sure. It's also the fact that it's just there's I don't know. I know that this is not how the movie business works by any means, and it is a lot of churning and burning, but I wish we could just stagger the release dates by like six months or something. You know, just can we can we get a little bit of a break before just constantly having to watch the same concept over and over again? I remember like back in 2014 and 15, there was a bombardment of artificial intelligence movies. <laughs> like, oh my god, like, yes. It was her. Speaking of Alex Garland, uh, Ex Machina, there was yeah, Machine, was there was Transcendence, there was the Upgrade. It was just, you know, you know, these things come in waves, right? I mean, natural disaster movies had their time too, right? This, this, is, this is currently, and you know, this is something that uh, it's a criticism of Hollywood that I kind of more or less agree with, is that it can capitalize on true people's misery in a really gross way. I mean, look at all these like very tragic biopics being turned out right now. That's exploitation to me as well. You know, <laughs> it's the same conversation. Okay, so I do love the premise of Barbarian though, which is... No, again, one of the least offenders, right? right? I really like the fact that Zach was very thoughtful about it, but like inherently his perspective is just going to be a detriment here, which is fair. It's just, you know, this is this is how this works. Unfortunately, you did a really good job for the extent that you could. Sure. Let's dive in so we can get into Keith, right? The premise of the movie is that this young woman, Tess, is in Detroit for a job interview and she has she rolls up to her Airbnb in the pouring rain and knocks on the door because it's locked and she can't get in. She calls the property manager to try and get a touch with her. They don't pick up. Finally, a man answers the door. And this is uh, Bill Skarsgård, who plays this really interesting character named Keith. He insists that he was is the owner of the Airbnb for that weekend. Turns out there was a bit of a miscommunication and they've been double booked. So Tess is left standing at the door wondering if she should walk inside to this already extremely sketchy situation. And this is where I think the film really shines is in this first part when it's just Tess and Keith navigating this awkward situation with one another. Yeah, and I I honestly think it would have been a better horror movie if that was the main concept and wasn't just like a brief first act, you know? Right. Because I think there's a world of horror that can happen there and could have been developed. Mm. But let's talk about Keith, right? Yeah, because I remember texting you while I was watching it going, I fucking hate Keith. I fucking hate him. Uh He creeps me out and I hate him. And like, 
after reading some interviews with Zach uh, being like, no, I wanted to like get across the very small creepy things that quote unquote nice guys do. And I'm like, yep, that's what it is. Yes. Keith's the soft boy. I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. It's like the fuck boy that tries to manipulate your emotions to get what they want. Oh yeah. Right? Um, I mean, that's like, like promising young woman is all about that. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen that movie? I did a very long time ago. Yes. Uh, it's, it's very good. Anyway, it, it plays just to that idea, right? Like nice guys who expect something just because they're nice, which is ugh, a, a, yes. a, deep, yep. a deeply disturbing kind of manipulation. It's not really being nice for nice's sake, but your own perverted needs. And <laughs> Also, I'm pretty sure Keith was lying about the convention in town. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why she didn't look it up on her phone to check. We never get a confirmation why. whether or not that's true, right? I don't think it is because when she went for her interview with the documentary maker, like they didn't say anything. They, they kind of gave like a look of white when she said that. So yeah, like, to me, I think he was lying and just wanted to keep her there, which you could make a whole horror movie about this guy manipulating you to, to stay in a house with him. Yeah. That's creepy on its own. You don't need like deeper levels to that. And I think it kind of got goofy when it started going a little bit deep, literally deeper, but I like Tess. I think, the casting was really great. Yeah. I really liked that actress. I, I thought she was great. She makes a very good final girl. It's just, I don't think the writing for the ending was like quite strong or any, or, or really satisfying. I think it lost its message a little bit towards the end, sure. but I don't really know how I feel about Bill. I think his line deliveries were a little bit strange to me and I don't know if that's him or the direction, mm. but I was like, this feels like stunted. It didn't feel like a natural way of speaking. It didn't come off as like an awkward, nice guy. It just came off as he didn't want to be there delivering lines. Interesting. So I had trouble getting into it. I think the male casting in this, uh, you know, Tess's was great. The male casting too is phenomenal. And I, I'm going to keep bringing up Promising Young Woman because there are a lot of shared parallels, like the creative decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Like Bill Skarsgård and Justin Long, who plays the character AJ, who we will absolutely get into. Justin was so much in this. Was a lot. Well, you know, they were cast perfectly because these guys kind of have a disarming quality to their to their look. Do you know who Zach initially wanted? Uh, Zach Efron. <laughs> yeah. Bill Skarsgård. He wanted Zach Efron to play AJ, which I also see working really well. I think Justin Long, just given his history in the films he's acted in and the films that inspired this movie makes a lot of sense. Mm. <laughs> makes me think about uh, Tusk. You ever see Tusk? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. I fucking love um, that movie. <laughs> wasn't Justin Long in Jeepers Creepers? Yeah, he's in the first one. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. And then I know that Zach said that one of his main influences for this movie was Drag Me to Hell. Oh, I love that movie. And that's very true, like the weird blend of comedy and horror in places like getting breastfed by a by a mutant anyway <laughs> yeah i can absolutely see that as it pertains to like the first act and keith's character zach Kreger, writer director he did mention this particular book that was really useful to him called the gift of fear and like you know it's all about how fear can be a useful tool to our survival and whatnot and there's a whole chapter dedicated to red flags that guys give off um, well, look at the fucking. It could have ended in the first act, right? Tess was like, "Don't go down there. Let's leave." And then he didn't believe her. Went down there, and then he 
ended up Keith ended up dying and Tess ended up getting trapped. Yeah. So there you go. He yeah. Direct reference to it. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it's everything. It's from like, you know, Keith being like, can I get you a drink? And obviously anyone with, uh, you know, in the theater can just, you can just hear them be like, oh God, don't fucking get that drink. You know what I mean? Have you seen the memes going around lately around how people act in horror films where white people have been essentially given the term the caucasity? like the Caucasian audacity of doing dumb things. And like, there's been a general consensus online of like, no, we just need to listen to like minority characters in horror films. Cause they always tell us to not go out there and then the white people do, and then they get killed. And I find that really funny because I've been seeing that as a meme online. Oh yeah. It makes me think about that movie cabin in the woods, right? Or the one character who makes sense as the guy like getting too high. That's a white dude, though. Its main goal was to turn all these cliches on its head, and that's one of the most effective films that has done that, yeah. in my opinion, lately. Very on the nose, but in a way that was like satisfying. It's funny, because Tess, in this movie, there's this really critical scene where she's alone in the house. She's locked herself in the basement accidentally, and it's when she discovers the tunnel in the basement where she opens the door, this like hidden rope that, when you pull on it, opens a secret door into this dark pit labyrinth type hallway she gives it like two seconds of a look and just goes nope you know yep. which was great definitely the smart reaction <laughs> and that and kind of like what jordan peele's whole fucking movie is about you know yep just that moment like nope <laughs> nope very good but she still goes down anyway after configuring like a means of illumination for the hallway which is great I mean, the movie wouldn't be great if she didn't go down that hallway. I feel like you could do a lot without having her do that. I mean, the only reason she ever goes even further is because of Keith, which drives me nuts. Well, she goes far enough out of curiosity to find the room with the camera in it. And that's when she yeah, and then the fuck gets out. freaked out, yeah. leaves like a normal person. <laughs> and then Keith is an idiot and goes down the second secret tunnel. Yeah. And then doesn't want to come back. Because she finds him before he dies. And then she's like, no, no, no. I know the way out. Let's go. And he goes, no, I'm not going back out there. And then immediately gets his head bashed in. Because he's an idiot. He does. Well, he did say he thought that the mother character, which we'll get to in a bit, was the way that Tess came from. Obviously, he was wrong. And it comes up from behind him and mushes his brain. But she had also just navigated her way there without any issue so like you could also just sprint back i don't think they'd come back within that time right i don't know i'm just mad at his logic and he angers me <laughs> hey well he pays for it so <laughs> well and then we you know we also get this theme of like not listening to black women yeah. so throughout this first act but then also she gets stuck with this creature that they find in this basement but like before we get into that because that's a whole other can of worms because there's like two storylines happening and she's part of the second but she eventually escapes after being trapped for weeks and you know we know that it's weeks because this other character comes through and says it's weeks mm. and she manages to walk to a gas station and call the police and then we have the police say eh, we can't do anything after she directly tells them i have been held prisoner and have escaped and there is somebody who has died and the police are just kind of like well there's nothing we can do and like yes i understand that 
you're not going to get help from cops. Believe me, I've been there. I have no intention of ever calling cops because I know they do not do shit. But I feel like the scene was really dragged out and kind of like pounded in. And then also, I feel like if you use the exact words of I have been held prisoner and kidnapped for weeks on end and watched someone die, you would get a thermal blanket, a hospital visit and a statement at least. I don't think they'd ever follow up on it, maybe, but like, (laughs) I feel like you'd at least get an ambulance or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that moment is a bit of a stretch of, you know, it's like, okay, these cops are bad. How are they this bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? They like, don't even go into the basement. They didn't even check anything. It could have been a cool scene of having them go into the fucking labyrinth and they themselves getting killed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, that happens exactly. in so many movies, though, right? Although, and, and the thing that this movie does, which I really do appreciate, and it's overall, like, one of its finer qualities is its constant bucking of expectations. And I didn't get that. I got a lot of very jarring cuts and plot changes, but I didn't get any of my expectations bucked. Mm. I was not expecting that woman in the tunnel. <laughs> I thought that turn was so fun and reminds me a lot of this short story, The Lurking Fear, H.P. Lovecraft's thing. The story in such a cool direction, in, in my opinion. It, it's like weird, but it's not something that I wouldn't expect in in a weird basement given horror. But like, Okay, so getting into this mother character, right? I'm going to briefly outline the second plot here. So there was a guy in 1981, because we have a very jarring cut. I really don't like these jarring like plot cuts. It's not a style I'm really a fan of. I think it breaks a lot of that tension and confuses me for like a hot second, which I, I don't really love. It makes me irritable. That's what it does. It irritates me. <laughs> but um, we, we know it's 1981 because Reagan has just inherited a terrible economy. And... We see this guy go out and get a bunch of baby materials because he's about to have a home birth. And we've just seen that the basement is filled with cages and a weird breastfeeding video. And we see him go to a general store and get said breastfeeding video and a bunch of other stuff to have a baby at home. And then we also see him stalk a woman and pretend to be a water monitor and like go into her house, unlock a window for himself and leave. So we know that he has kidnapped this woman and likely others since there are multiple cages in his basement and probably like raped them repeatedly to have a breeding thing going on because we now see that we have a crazy inbred creature which I'm guessing is inbred given the fact that I'm assuming if you have a bunch of women and their offspring stuck in a basement with a crazy man doing this, that's that's what's going to happen, who is obsessed with motherhood and following this tape. And I don't really know what happened to the other people involved in this. You know, I don't know what happened to like any of the bodies. I don't know like why there's only one. I don't know why she has superhuman powers. I don't really like the fact that it's just kind of like, because you know it's like father jupiter or whatever in in the hills of eyes for a movie that's trying to be thoughtful you know i think it's just jarring because it doesn't have a lot of thought inherently in it and have to make it intimidating right so it's gotta be a big lumbering scary thing uh but it's it's weird too because like it is playing into the womanhood aspect of this film of like you have a mother whose only aggression is fueled by the desire to nurture. Mm -hmm. And I actually kind of root for her. Everything happening makes me be on Mother Creature's side. I I don't remember what scene it was, but I was like, "Mm, no, I I kind of, I'm on her side. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, yeah, she didn't choose that fucking life, right? I think you're supposed to feel sympathetic, particularly in, as, as the third act is wrapping up. You're supposed to feel sympathetic more so with the mother than the AJ character hands down. And like the mother figure saves Tess's life at the end. Good time to talk about AJ. AJ is literally a Hollywood producer being accused of sexual assault. And we know that he is guilty because he meets up with a friend in a bar and describes raping somebody, right? So we we know he's a bad guy. He's not a good person. And like he we watch his life fall apart because he's being dropped from all of his jobs and nobody wants to associate with him, which is good. Yeah. Good on He's them. very much like, why is this happening to me? I'm a nice guy, that whole fucking spiel, you know. It's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. There's two ways of things happening. Which <laughs> is just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you fuck. It was just the worst person. And he's the one who actually owns the house that ends up being an Airbnb. And like, because he's losing all of his assets. Right. In the wake of this sort of Me Too moment happening to him, he retreats to this property he owns in Detroit just to kind of isolate himself. Well, it's mainly to see if he can sell assets to pay for the lawyers against the court case being brought against him. Yeah, I think he wanted to get out of town too, though. You know, a place where nobody knows him. He lies about being there to his mom. Has some real daddy issues going on. <laughs> yeah. And then literally mommy issues later, because, you know, there's a, there's a new new trend in our podcast where we have to bring up mommy issues at least once. Love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, he's a complete douchebag. He goes into the basement just to, and, and realizes that the, he has, like, new square footage to add to his listing for trying to sell this house so that he can get money. And then ends up being taken by the mother and meeting Tess. That's when we realize that the guy who started all of this, who like kidnapped these women, is still alive and in the basement and very clearly meant to represent AJ, right? Like similar right. person who has sexually assaulted a bunch of women and like is trapping yes. them and is therefore trapped himself. Ugh. Yeah, he's, he's like ghost to Christmas future kind of shit. I don't really love the fact that there is this undercurrent that's kind of like, well, but AJ's a victim too here. And like the oh, conversation he has with himself of like, oh, I've hurt people, but I'm not really a bad person if I just do one bad thing really angered me. No, he's a good guy that did a bad thing. No, I think that conversation with AJ is supposed to be like full of shit. He's just the kind of guy that convinces himself he's the hero of his own story and incapable of like being the villain. You know, that's like his his justification for pushing Tess off the roof is just that as well. You know, he's the kind of guy who can kind of piece of shit who can always convince himself that he's doing the right thing. And you know? shooting her after she comes back to help him. Yeah. Uh, well, that was more or less a weird accident, right? Not, like, I, don't, I think it wasn't. Right? He was scared and he shot in the dark and he shot Tess. You know what I mean? After she said hello. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's Which is right. just nailing the like that nail into the coffin of like he knows what's he, what he's doing. He is very clearly consciously hurting these women and has a sense of individualism that puts him above them, which is like, you yeah. know, again, very 
the the purpose of this movie is not hidden. It is super on the nose. You're gonna get it. I feel like the storyline around the guy that like initially started all of this was played by an actor that I quite like actually. And the fact that he's just been in his room. His name is Richard Brake, the guy who plays the creep in the basement. Yeah, he's fucking great. He does really well. The 80s scenes are also shot with like a fisheye lens, which I think is an interesting technique that is used. I think it invokes a sense of dissociation personally, but totally. It was very oh, totally. Cool. Again, the visual design and like photography, fucking fantastic. Great. I yeah. love it so much. I'm obsessed with it. But like I don't really like his character that much. Like we we get it. This is the reason this is happening and like, you know, you get the guy that's coming to warn test at one point in the very cliche oh the crazy guy who you think is gonna hurt you is actually trying to warn you thing but he's like that's not the worst thing in that basement and it's like yeah he's he is clearly worse he is clearly a terrible human being but he just gets to shoot himself in the head and that's it yeah sometimes the bad people get away like that you know what i mean i kind of appreciated that point that like this guy just gets to off himself which is awful. But it's like, again, it parallels AJ because it he does it after AJ says, I'm going to get the cops here. And, you know, AJ is currently being investigated for horrible crimes. And the guy's first instinct is to kill himself. Yeah. Which was also like a weird body staging and like practical effect. I didn't really, I, I thought it felt off. Yeah. Um, just from like a practical effect standpoint. The gun layout and the, the place his hand was was just not what I would expect. And the blood seemed in a not realistic splatter pattern. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I, <laughs> it wasn't a convincing enough head splatter. I love it. My questions are like, how'd this guy feed himself? Is the woman going out for supplies for this dude? I don't know, because she was clearly too afraid to go near the door no, that I, he was in. Exactly. I have a lot of questions about that, which is like, okay, how long has this guy been under here? I honestly think this was two movies and it could have been better if these ideas were drawn out into two movies. Because I know Zach said that he didn't have an idea going forward and just kind of wrote as it happened. Yes. But I think it would have done him wonders to have split this up into two movies with two distinct ideas and kind of like done a prequel and then the main idea for this modern aspect. Interesting. I like the movie as it is. I like that it feels like one movie in the beginning and then curdles into this really deranged nightmare. That's something I appreciate in a movie. And like kind of structurally, I am very curious about what you're going to think about this comment. But like structurally for me, it felt so much like Psycho in a way where the first little more than a third of a movie, it's one way it ends with this jarring murder from an unknown female figure. And then it pivots to another character. I would disagree solely because the structure of Psycho, Psycho is preliminary events, the actual murder and then the fallout of that. And this is modern time to the past, but it's an undeveloped preliminary event. Now we're back to the future and like all these things are happening. Well, one could argue, so the, like well, the preliminary event is Tess getting there, right? And then it becomes AJ's story, but not really his story, but similar to the one sister and the other sister in Psycho. And it brings Sister B to the place where Sister A was murdered, but it's AJ. I would see, I would describe that more in terms of like fr the book Frankenstein, where we have stories within stories, mm -hmm. which is fine. I just think you need to do it 
in a way that builds on each story a little bit more than just stopping and restarting. Like, again, it's personal choice. I know people are going to like it. I know people aren't. It's just a personal opinion that I, I don't like jarring restarts, especially when you stop at the peak of a tense moment and then restart from the beginning of a different story. I'm an apologist of the movie The Village by M. Night Shyamalan, you know? There's that one very obvious twist. Have you you've seen it? Yeah, I don't remember hating it. I, I remember liking it when I watched it. I really liked it too, but it gets it gets a lot of flack for, you know, I think more so because people perceive M. Night Shyamalan's movies as hinging like him being a one-trick pony, you know. That's somewhere in the movie. He just completely makes the story take a left turn. If you do it well, then like do it, you know? <laughs> I appreciate the turn this movie takes at the point where Tess is introduced to the mother crushing Keith's head on a wall. I think Oh, that was good gore. That was good practical effects. You get to see eyeballs squish out and then he tears his head open. Yeah, you know, it's the kind of narrative turn I appreciate, I guess is what I'm just trying to say. I don't think... I felt much of a narrative turn there. Like the, the narrative for the entire movie is look at all these men that are harming Tess and look at how many people are not helping her. So she has to do it all on her own. And now she's tired. Well, right. So now that's, the movie ends. You know, that's the deeper layer of the onion, right? I'm talking about the layer just above that, where it becomes a girl at an awkward situation at an Airbnb that becomes mutant women in the basement ripping people apart. You know, that's a turn I appreciate. And yes, the actual deeper themes of the story of gender violence that permeates throughout. I do find it weird that the movie ended with Tess killing the mother, because that seems to go against a lot of what well, it is we see. Kill thematically you know, here what's right? gonna happen to her <laughs> you know what i mean like what what life does she have to go to i i saw that as a mercy killing if you ask me i saw it as a killing of the symbolic nurturing that tess had in this movie like the one thing that was helping her what like like giving guys a chance <laughs> no like being so emotionally crushed that she is also turning her back on herself. Mm. Or at least a very strange choice. I don't think it's as deep as I think it is, but the only character that helped her and actively saved her life and tried to do anything besides the guy that's living in the water tower mm -hmm. was Mother. Yeah. Also, I really hate that cliche in the water tower when he's like, it's okay, she's never come here. And then immediately the mother bursts through a wall. That moment didn't really land for me either. But that that is where I'm like, oh, this guy comes from comedy. You know what I mean? And specifically the whitest kids you know oh, comedy. So tell me, I, know, I, 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 know no, I know we mentioned this in the beginning. Okay, there's a really famous sketch they did called The Grapist. Mm-hmm. Where there's a Kool-Aid man type character, from what I remember, that's like trying to, uh, or like drink mascot that's trying to sell a grape flavored drink to kids. And their slogan that they choose is, I'm going to grape you in the mouth. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. The sketch is better than the way I'm going to describe it. But it's like the entire time I was watching this, knowing that it was Zach Kreger, I'm like, wow, you really just... You, you made a more serious expansion on the sketch, which is a mean thing to say. But like, because that's what I remember from their sketch comedy show, along with like a handful of other sketches, I'm like, 
it just feels like a, somebody sat down and said, no, but really, what if we actually talked about gendered violence and sexual violence in a serious way and made a movie? All jokes aside, fellas. Yeah, sure. Interesting. I went into this movie not really knowing who this guy was or what kind of comedy he had done in the past or anything like that. So, And to be fair, The Whitest Kids You Know are not my favorite sketch group. They have some good ones. I don't hate them. I just don't think all of their jokes land. And I get the same sense of like the attempts at comedy here. I don't think there was enough of a comedic tone to lend it to comedy. And I Mm. don't think the few jokes they put in really matched well. I thought the mother trying to breastfeed AJ (laughs) was, that was funny to me. But it wasn't supposed to be. That was like one of their gorier scenes. And they originally had the mother character, Baby Bird, AJ. Oh, that's even more funny to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's because it's ridiculous. It's like, I don't know. There there was something off about the tone for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was because it wasn't quite comedy, but it wasn't quite horror. Yeah. You know, so well, that's you guys your, can decide for yourself. To your, what's your <laughs> earlier point about like what Zach Krager said that drag me to hell was a was a comp for it. I mean, that movie's full of shit like that, you know, like the yeah, like the gym no, like throwing up all over. <laughs> all over the main character like that you know one man's trash is another man's very funny joke i guess and to be fair i'm not like the biggest fan of drag me to hell either so oh oh i i have a soft spot for that movie i very much enjoy it i will say that i do appreciate that zach's idea for the mother makeup comes from grendel's mother in the beowulf adaptations and illustrations that have happened and then also saturn devouring its son oh even cooler yeah i mean that's that's and i think that painting by a mile and in all those like what's that dark series he did francisco goya like had a room in his house that was all black and he painted each of those paintings on the wall yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what the series is called. Yeah, but Saturn eating his son is a pretty metal fucking painting. I love that one. I can see how that influenced the mother too, like the neatness yeah. and like the wild hair and yeah. And and just that like Saturn is just enormous and crazy looking in that. That's so cool though. I love it when a film will make a direct reference to a painting like that. I know that like Robert Eggers uh, uh, famously did a lot of painting references for uh, The Lighthouse, you know. That's why that movie is oh, cool. so crazy. Yeah. I have a question for you, Sam, actually, sure. now that we're talking about Zach's process. Sure. Zach made a playlist on Spotify called Write to This Now. Mm. Have you listened to it? And would you write to it? I have not listened to it, but I'm going to bring Is that on Spotify? I can just go on Spotify. I think it's on Spotify. It's apparently full of really dark music. And considering you also write horror, I would love to see how you feel about it next time we meet. So it's interesting. I do write to music on occasion. I can't really listen to a lot of music where lyrics are front and center. So a lot of like ambient stuff. But I've listened to a lot of droney, like this band Sun. The name of the band is like Sun, a circle with three parentheses, but it's based off of the amplifier company. They make this really intense bass droney soundscape music. God, it's so atmospheric and cinematic. So I do listen to music when I write, but it's not very melodic. I feel like that's what Zach described putting on this. But I would like to... 
hear your experiment of writing something without it and then continuing to write with it and see if it affects your mental space. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it now. I don't really recognize a lot of these names, so I'm, I'm kind of excited. Well, one of the songs that he liked, he ended up getting the rights to put into the film at some point. Oh, cool. But I didn't hear much change beyond like ambiance mm-hmm. to like a lot of the film. Yeah. I wasn't really impressed with the music of the film, if I'm being honest. I um, like I can't even think about it right now. So you know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't even it didn't stand out to me at all. I can't even Which tell is- you. Funny to me because Zach had mentioned that he was really proud of the music. And I'm like, what music, Zach? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I, I can't even think of a little tune. No, I just remember like droning ambiance. And then the one thing I really liked, I love when sound designers and editors in films use really intentional silence. And I know that there were a few aspects of very intentional silence in this film that I think worked really well. So I do really appreciate that. I'm all um, because I think silence is underutilized in film. Well, ever since everyone kind of figured out, like you can make a really nice jump scare with a really sharp violin pull and a weird image. That's what scares have been kind of based around. But I love your comment on silence. One of my favorite parts of Cure was when he was hypnotizing, hypnotizing whoever, and the only sound was like the ambient fuzz of the room that, that yeah no, me. cure had great sound design yeah some of my favorite sound design that we've looked at in a while mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of using silence it's better at establishing like dread and you're left with just your thoughts <laughs> yeah well i think silence is anxiety inducing especially in a film when you're used to being surrounded by like layers of ambiance because there is an intent to create soundscapes within film. And there's a very intentional process of recording your dialogue at a certain level and like making sure that other things are at different levels. And like, there's a general sense of atmosphere to your film. So when that's absent, that's, that's anxiety inducing. Totally. When I'm making something, I like to use more ambient sound in the room. I feel like everything else is kind of just fluff. I haven't made too many short films, <laughs> but the ones I have, that's my preferred. It's funny. I don't recognize so many people from this playlist. I mean, there's like Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah. A few things about the the film that I find quite interesting. One is that it was shot in Bulgaria for the most part with the actual neighborhoods being shot in Detroit. Oh, yeah. And because the main actress is British... And they initially started shooting in Bulgaria. She's like, there's no way. There's no way that Detroit looks like this. And then she came to Detroit and she was like, oh, no, it does look like this. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very funny to me. Also, the fact that they were like shooting against a bunch of like commercial buildings. And apparently you can see the commercial buildings through the sets. But I think the color design was good enough to hide it and you won't look for it but i do find it interesting that we had a very edward scissorhands idea of like the 1980s for this neighborhood like very bright suburbia pastel and then now it's all ramshackle derelict buildings except for this one airbnb which is also weird i guess you would fix it up but i don't think people would generally rent it at a rate that would allow it to be up, have like good upkeep. But also, why would AJ, a Hollywood producer who apparently has multiple assets with multiple listings that he's getting multiple incomes from, go to this particular house? And why would he have this particular house in this particular neighborhood? I think the answer to that would be he's probably the kind of piece of shit that would buy in to some crypto pitch if it was sold to him by the right 
convincing douchebag that he could relate to. You know what I mean? So, so probably some dickbag was like, dude, put your money into property. That's where long-term investments are. And so, the, you know, AJ is probably the kind of guy who goes, yeah, bro, that sounds great. Hook me up with that. Here's some money I made from like my little producing life. And, you know, that's why I think that could have happened. He didn't really seem like a particularly uh, thoughtful individual, you know? Also, this has clearly been rented out on Airbnb multiple times. So have all of these people gone missing? Because the maids only come right before a new set of people. So like, or have they all survived? What happened to all these people? Did they also go missing? Or did they like have a perfectly normal stay and then leave a weird review? I would imagine that not everyone is missing because then how would this Airbnb continue? I feel like if none of your residents contacted you after the fact or like you kept finding a bunch of people's belongings, you would have questions. And so that to me suggests that somebody survived and like had an uneventful stay. And I want to know what their Airbnb reviews look like. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Because they would see the neighborhood in broad daylight. And I feel like most people would comment about it. Right. And I think they would also have weird things to say about like doors opening and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. AJ could have bought the property recently. That's enough. I guess. But then what's the motivation for having upkeep? Because it would sure. only really be upkept for that. And we know that the guy who like started all this shit in the basement it has been bedridden for quite a long time. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Good questions. My only answer would be it's not terribly important to the story and it would be kind of a boring diatribe for someone to just exposition all the explanation in. You know what I mean? So easier just to like take it with it. But I also want to know what happened to like the rest of these women and the people in the basement from the 80s to present. Well, that's a movie, you know, maybe that'll be if he ever decides to cash out and make sequels. It is the thing to do now. Uh, Absolutely. Overall, Barbarian, like, I really did enjoy it for all the reasons I stated before. But just to, you know, surmise, I'm like, I think it's a movie that takes narrative leaps in an unexpected and fun way. I think the scares were fun. It looks beautiful. The performances are really good. I think Zach Kreger does a good job of establishing who these people are, why they suck, why you know no i think tess is honestly one of my favorite final girl types of the decade like i think she'll probably be a pretty iconic final girl i would give this a solid c Mm. i think it was pretty okay and it's better than a lot of the things we watch yeah i'd give it nine spooky ghosts out of ten spooky ghosts (laughs) (laughs) Uh, also fun fact you know what's uh supposed to be in the bottle what that she's feeding out of rat milk Ooh, rat milk. Yeah. Because rat the, the deleted scene where she baby birds Justin Long uh-huh. was supposed to be her grabbing a rat and chewing it up and spitting it into his mouth. Ooh. So it's the only other thing there that's lactating is rats. It's going to be rat milk. In actuality, it was oat milk. So. Sure. Yeah, of course. But- <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know where you get rat milk. The actor that played Mother actually spit chewed up prosciutto in Justin Long's mouth. And I'm really sad that we didn't get to see that. (laughs) Justin has been doing so much for the horror industry. Yeah, I I like Justin Long. I appreciate his horror movies. He's a good douchebag. He made me hate him. (laughs) Yeah. 
It was very, it was very aggravating. Disarming in that way. Like he seems like he'd be a nice guy, but you know, he uses that to his advantage with these characters, which is like really fun. I think it's better than men because like, you know, got to put them in the same category if they're coming out in the same year with the same topics. I think the photography is some of the best we've seen in a really long time. I think Keith as a character was a very astute observation, despite the limitations of Zach's perspective in his writing. And I would be excited to see how Zach would develop horror writing going forward. And I think it would be nice to see more very on-the-nose horror comedy going forward with him, because I think it would fall better into his skills and his background in writing. Mm. He does have another movie he like, just sold. Like I think it was last really? last week. It was like an eight-figure deal for this script called Weapons of his that he's going to direct. Huh. So good on him. Kudos to that dude. Made one good movie and now the doors have opened. I'm really interested in seeing how he develops going forward. Definitely. Well, this has been fun, Maya. I do love talking to you always in Barbarian. I know this wasn't your favorite, but I hope you were able to glean some positive things from it. No, and when I'm overly negative on this, it's only because I'm focusing on my criticisms. It was okay. I liked it. It was it was fun. But like, I, it's also the fact that I am just very exhausted talking about gendered violence and horror. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to be just inundated with such heavy shit all the time. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for our next few episodes. I know that the next one will probably also have a discussion of gendered violence, but also other violence that is, you know, worth talking about from a social aspect. So. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to discussing that La Llorona with you next time. Sweet. Excellent. All right. Have a good one. You too. Infinite Horrors Magazine is a full-color, ad-free print magazine from the creators of Infinite Worlds. You can get your signed and hand-numbered direct edition copy of Infinite Horrors number one plus Infinite Horrors merch at infinitehorrorsmagazine.com. You can also get the newsstand edition at exaltedfuneral.com. Be sure to check out the Infinite Worlds podcast as well as the Infinite Worlds magazines. Find us on social media at Infinite Horrors Magazine or Infinite Worlds Magazine. Also, feel free to visit InfiniteHorrorsMagazine.com or InfiniteWorldsMagazine.com. And you can follow me online on Instagram at Heavy underscore Metal underscore Fruit. And you can follow me on Instagram at HorrorSamW. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.